Hello and welcome to the No Ordinary Gal podcast. I am your host, Laura. This is the show where we will be celebrating the normal, the average, the everyday girl. And I'll be sharing stories from ladies who may seem to fit that bill, but to me, they're really rather extraordinary. So come along with us and discover how you too are No Ordinary Gal. Hello and welcome to the very first episode of No Ordinary Gal. As requested by you, this is going to be a bit of a different format to the usual episodes that you can expect. Um, It's just going to be a short intro into me, let you know a little bit more about who I am, why I want to do this podcast, and hopefully it will encourage you to come along on this journey with us. So let's dive in. So obviously you guys will have seen from the Instagram page, you've got your boring basics about me. My name is Laura. I am 30 years old. I'm an Essex girl. I am married to Cameron. We have been together for 12 years this August and we'll be celebrating our seventh wedding anniversary in the same month. We have two children. We have Robin, who will be six in October, and Rose, who has just turned three. We have a Cavalier King Charles Spaniel called Lady. She will be seven in a couple of weeks time. She was our like dry run before committing to having a baby. (laughs) We got her when we returned from honeymoon um, as a a little trial. And obviously it was a success. I would say we actually had more sleepless nights from her as a pup than we ever did from Robin. Rose we won't talk about. (laughs) So from that, obviously I am just a very ordinary gal. So rather than me try and make myself sound interesting, I'm going to go straight to the questions that you guys kindly sent in um, to find out a bit more about me. So the first question that came in um, seems like the perfect one to start with, which was why now? Why now have I decided to start this podcast? I think it's for a couple of reasons. Um, The main one being that I've really been on a bit of a self-discovery journey this past couple of years, um, which I'll be going into a bit more detail about with the next question. Um, But basically the upshot of that is after being in a really bad place, I really am now quite literally living my best life. I've found complete peace with myself, with who I am, with everything that's happened in my life. I've found true contentment. And when you've got that, the freedom of that is so blooming amazing and I just want others to feel it as well and I think one of the big parts of achieving that feeling is stepping back looking at yourself and saying oh my god I flipping rock and I think so few women do that women specifically um We're really bad at acknowledging all of our good stuff, yet we're so good at really focusing on the bits of ourselves that we don't like. So I kind of want others to realise that. I want them to realise that whilst they may think they're sat there living a completely ordinary life, haven't done anything overly special or overly out of the norm, but actually they're really worth celebrating. So I really want others to feel this amazing feeling that I have. I think the second part of it is really just finding my own confidence because this is something I've wanted to do for a long time. I host a podcast um, through my work focused on social care um, and the social work industry. 
and I really enjoy doing that. And I think it has actually been through lockdown, through connecting with other marketers, that I've kind of really found my feet and found my confidence in my own abilities. Um, whereas before, I very much felt like I was an imposter in the marketing industry. That's what I do for a job by trade. But I've been very much nurtured internally um, to get to that place. I'm not you know, traditionally trained in marketing. It's not what I studied. Um, well, I didn't study past A-levels. Um, and I've spent most of my career in recruitment. So whilst I felt worthy of a place in recruitment, I didn't real, really feel worthy of a place in marketing. And I've really realised that actually I am good enough to have a place in that. And that's kind of given me the confidence to pursue, you know, this as a personal project that I am good enough to take it to market myself, to do all of the branding and everything, to hopefully make it a success. And, you know, lockdown has definitely, um, whilst it's been incredibly challenging, it has given me a little bit of a confidence boost. And I've had a little bit of a, a quarantine glow up, I'm going to say. Um, so, yeah, I just, I feel you know why not now let's let's give it a go i've i've got everything i need to do it let's just go for it so the next question that came in um is a great one and this is where we're we're gonna dive a little bit deeper people um and you're gonna learn a little bit more about me um, and this brilliant question was what has shaped me most as a person i really took my time to think about this one and i think i have to pinpoint it down to three key events that happened in my life the first of those was meeting Cameron. I think obviously most people would retrospectively look back at the point they met their partner as being a really pivotal moment for them. Um, for me, I met him when I was just 18. We met at Reading Festival. Up until then, I'd kind of had a couple of years at college where I'd pretty much kind of gone off the rails, to be honest. I was a, a really, you know, a goody two-shoes at school. I was head girl. I was a, a straight A student really you know did everything by the book and I went to college and I discovered alcohol sex and parties and I just had the time of my life but I also was hurt a lot through that two years and because of that you know I put up a, a massive guard was not one for feeling emotions because if I did you know like that song says I was very afraid to catch feels because I'd always end up getting hurt so I'd really kind of blocked myself off to that. And then at the end of this incredible summer that I had with all of my friends, I met this by complete chance in a field full of, you know, 30,000 people, this blue eyed bearded man who just absolutely took my breath away. Um, I instantly thought, don't be so ridiculous. You're not going to wash for the next few days. Don't even think about trying to pull. Um, and then the next day we got chatting and quite literally the rest is history. We've been inseparable ever since. And, you know, like I say, that's 12 years this summer. But Cameron was not like any of the boys that I'd been involved with. And I'm going to say boys because at that age, they, you know, there is a maturity issue. And he wasn't laddish and he wasn't brash and... You know, he was quite sensitive and open to emotions and just very honest and, and very real. And when he then, you know, took me home and introduced me to his family, it was obvious that that was just the way that household was. And I think I owe him and his family so much for just teaching me that it was OK to feel. And it was not only OK to feel, it was OK to show those feelings and those emotions and and really embrace them so they really really softened me and um you know that then naturally shaped how 
our relationship panned out and you know contributed a lot to the type of mum that I am and just generally how I am in life now and um, yeah I think he came into my life at a really really crucial point when I didn't know I needed him but I did I did very much need that. The next thing I would say which again I think all people would say is obviously becoming a mum. It was something I always wanted I didn't know if it would ever happen I was told at quite a young age um, for you know various uh, gynecological reasons it may not ever happen for me and I was very open and honest with that with Cameron about that very early on um, because he made it very clear that you know he wanted children and you know I didn't want to break his heart of you know potentially not being able to deliver on that um, but we made an agreement very early on that we would try naturally when the time was right and we would go straight down the adoption route and funny enough the week that we found out we were pregnant with Robin we'd actually been to an adoption event at our local council um, just by pure fluke um, but luckily I had a relatively you know complication free pregnancy with Robin um, and you know other than quite bad SPD towards the end and a very bad birth um he was fine and um he was everything we could have hoped and more and you know all mums say it's impossible to put into words how you feel for your children like the love that you feel it's not the same as the love you feel for your partner it's completely different um you know and that's not saying it's more or less it's just it's different and I know all mums listening to this will will know exactly what I'm talking about um, and it, it's very hard to put it into words um, but yeah becoming a mum for me it just changes you so much as a person it puts you it just puts so much perspective in place you know what's important what's not what you really want out of life what really matters in life um, and I think especially for me as being a fairly young mum I was 24 when I had Robin um I'd always kind of, you know, been ahead of my years maturity wise anyway, or at least that's what I was always told. And I think it does mature you to an, another level. I don't think any parent can say becoming a parent didn't change them because it does. It does change you. Um, and for me, I think it was a really, really positive change. Again, it just took me to that next level of love um, and feeling and emotion and my my two are everything to me. It was everything I hoped it would be and more. They're just they're just bloody brilliant, aren't they? They're a pain in the ass. Like, don't get me wrong, my kids are not angels and I don't love it all of the time, but all of the good outweighs the bad tenfold. They're just they're just so amazing watching them grow. It, it's just, you know, every day I look at them and I'm just amazed by them. So yeah, being a mum, it just changes everything. And then the third thing um, that shaped me is, you know, the much more recent event. Um, and that is that two, three years ago now, um, I had a mental breakdown. I suffered with quite severe prenatal anxiety and depression whilst I was carrying Rose. Um, I had extreme SPD with her, but unfortunately it started very early on in the pregnancy. So I had a really, really tough time carrying her. And then... I had extreme anxiety about delivering because Robin's birth hadn't gone to plan. It wasn't great. Um, and it was just swept under the carpet. I think that first time mum naivety just said, well, you know, it didn't go to plan. But how many people really do have their births go to plan? And it's all perfectly normal. And it's just one of those things. And obviously you're thrown into motherhood anyway. You don't have a chance to process what's happened. You know, you're literally 
you know, you've run a marathon and been hit by a bus and bam, here's a baby in your arms that you're trying to get to, to latch and to feed and you're changing nappies and it's just, it's a complete whirlwind and you don't have time to process it. And that didn't surface again until I was pregnant with Rose and until I had that impending thought of I've got to do this all again. And I was really positive at the beginning of the pregnancy. You know, I kind of thought, well, do you know what? It went to to shit last time, but I survived it. So even if I am that unlucky and it's that bad again, I know that I'll come out the other side of it. But fingers crossed it won't. And every medical professional that I met throughout my pregnancy told me, this will be the healing birth that I need. You know, it only went wrong first time because my body didn't know what it was doing. It's never done it before. Um, you know, the body's incredible with its muscle memory. It will just know what to do next time round. And it will be that perfect birth that you want that will release you of all of your demons from the previous one. And unfortunately, um, it went even worse than Robbins did uh, quite dramatically. Um, and again, I won't go into the details of all of that, but it was really, really bad and it then left me with post-traumatic stress syndrome and that triggered really quite severe postnatal depression and it was a really, really bad time. Um, you know, a few other things were going on in our home life as well. Cameron was changing jobs. I was trying to support him through a career change. He was studying so I was very much, right, I have to do it all. We can't disturb daddy. I can't ask him to do anything because if he doesn't pass these exams, he's not going to get this career. So I put an awful lot of pressure on myself. Um, and I think anybody will tell you that the jump from having one baby to two babies is really quite extreme. You know, you kind of think, oh, I've nailed it. We've nailed this parenting thing. Let's go and have another one. But nothing can prepare you for that second one, <laughs> even though you've done it once already. It really is such a jump. Um, and Robin was still just two and a half when Rose came along. So still very dependent on me. Um, and yeah, I think the constant, you know, weight and pressure of everything that I was piling on myself, you know, a lot of this was very self-inflicted. But with the unaddressed trauma, the birth trauma that I'd been through, just made things even worse um and yeah I was in a really really bad place um for at least the first six to nine months of, of Rose's life um rather horribly now looking back I don't remember much of her first year and that really upsets me now that I'm sat here in a good place because I've just kind of blocked it all out because it was so bad but I don't want to forget those memories of my of my baby girl being tiny so you know thank god for iPhones being you know everyone's little cameras and videos and stuff that I have to look back on her of um but when you go through something like that that really changes you as a person and for somebody like me who had never never experienced poor mental health it was this whole new world for me to try and navigate and because experiencing it happened in such a big traumatic way you know I wasn't somebody that kind of you know used to have a little bit of anxiety here and there and it kind of grew and grew and grew this was something that bam it happened overnight it was just a, a really awful experience that then triggered everything else to follow um but thankfully when I was at my absolute worst, my husband and my incredible mother-in-law who you will all be meeting she's she's lined up as a guest on this show because She's just the most amazing person that I've ever met. 
apologies, I knew this would happen, getting a bit emotional. Um, and she just turned up on the door one day and she just, you know, said, what do you need me to do? What do you want? Do you want me to take the kids? Do you need a break? Do you want me to be here with you with the kids? Do you want me to take you to the doctor? But she knew, she just knew and she just stepped in and gave me that shake up that I really needed. And thank God she did. Ever grateful uh, to her and to the, the amazing network of friends and, and people that I had around me to really, really help me get through that. Um, and now that I am in a really, really good place, I th I can honestly say it made me a better person. I think when you've been through any sort of poor mental health, it opens your eyes to a world that you didn't know existed. And, you know, as much as I hate to admit this, I was one of those people that, you know, would have been the person saying, oh, come on, cheer up, pull yourself out of it. You know, not really having any understanding of what that person was going through. And I think once you've experienced it yourself, you become more compassionate, more empathetic. You can understand people on a level that you couldn't before. It certainly makes you a lot kinder and a lot more patient. And just really think about your own actions. I think you become so conscious of how you're behaving because you don't know what somebody else is going through. So I am grateful that it happened. You know, it was an awful, awful time. But like I say, I think it's brought out better qualities in me as a person. And it certainly makes me so grateful for every everything and everyone that I have around me, you know, to still be here and be literally as I said earlier living my best life it's the most incredible feeling and um that is you know again that's what kind of ties into this where now I do look back at that and I think I I've pulled myself back from absolute rock bottom and I've not just pulled myself back to where I was before I've gone on and above that you know and I am proud of myself and I think it is absolutely okay to give yourself that massive pat on the back and say you go queen like you rock because that's not arrogance that is just congratulating yourself on getting through what was a really awful awful time um so yeah i'm very proud of me for not just surviving but for going on and absolutely thriving now so definitely been the biggest the biggest thing for me i warned you it was going to get deep didn't i sorry guys let's go to a bit of a, a more light-hearted question now um proudest moment so oh god I've got so many naturally you know even like I say things that I've just you know been through without just being where I am today I'm so proud of but um I think it has to be finishing the London Marathon last year um as cliche as that sounds because the training for the marathon was such a huge part of my recovery running was one of the things that quite literally helped save my life um and I trained so hard for six months, which is not easy to do when you've got two young children and a shift worker husband. So, you know, some Sundays I would go out, run 15 miles, come back as Cameron was walking out the door to go to work. So I can't sit and recover from that run. I'd literally have Rose on my legs asking me to do horsey. I'm then doing their lunches, sorting them out for the afternoon. You know, you can't sit and, and chill and try and recover from that. So it was a huge commitment and I think a huge testament to my mental strength to be able to do that. You know, you just have to get up on your own and go out and run these crazy distances. And that's not even for the race. That's just all the prep and all the training. And then the day before the race, I had what I first thought was a nervous belly. And as the day went on, it became more and more apparent 
that I actually had the worst stomach bug that I've ever had in my life, even now to this day. It was horrendous. I couldn't keep anything in at all, um, not even water. And anyone who's run a marathon or done any sort of like endurance event knows that the days leading up to it, you have to do what they call carb loading and you have to eat certain foods and make sure you're hydrating, all this sort of thing. So literally three days worth of work got flushed down the toilet. And the night before I phoned the marathon people and I explained what was going on because I kept kidding myself all day. I kept saying, it's just nerves, it's just nerves, it's just nerves. Um, Knowing in my heart of hearts, it wasn't. And they said, look, we wouldn't advise that you run. We can't tell you one way or the other. But if you run and you start to feel ill, you know, there's St. John's ambulances, um, stops, you know, very frequently throughout the race as well as just other volunteers that if you know you're struggling they'll help you and can get you to to medical assistance if you need it but those people do have the power to tell you you cannot carry on running so um i took as many emodium as i could uh i sent cameron out to tesco's to get this gel thing that someone on the marathon page had recommended um for you know like getting all your electrolytes back and helping you rehydrate And uh, I got up the next morning and I ran it on, I think I'd had about one bite of a bagel and one spoonful of porridge and then just the gels that you have that you that you run with. And it was hell on earth. I got to mile 10 and my body just gave up on me. And at so many points I was ready to, to stop at St. John's, but I didn't because I was so, so scared. They'd tell me I couldn't run. And... It was just, if it hadn't been for my friends and family that came up there to see me, I don't think I would have got to the finish line. And I ran it for the Birth Trauma Association. It was a ballot place, so I didn't have to fundraise, but I did. I'd raised just shy of two grand and people were voice noting me whilst I was running saying, Law, your total's still going up. You've raised another £100. Like, what an amazing feeling that was. And when I got right to the last mile, as you turn, you go down embankment and then you turn right to go towards the mall, there was two young women stood there, both with babies in carriers on the front of them. And this woman looked at my vest at this point, obviously I'm not going very fast. And she said, birth trauma association, it's a real thing. I'm going to look them up. And that then and there, sorry again, the emotions coming in, that made it, so worthwhile that 26 miles of hell made it worthwhile because if just one person saw my vest and realized that birth trauma is a real thing and that there is support out there and you can get help if you need it it was worth it it was absolutely worth it and getting over that finish line was just the most amazing feeling um if anyone is listening to this that obviously was watching me during that time obviously I did a lot of Instagram stories whilst I was doing it and um, it saved in the highlights of my my personal page I just sob as I get over the line it's just the most incredible feeling so like I say it's a great achievement for anyone to do anyone who runs a marathon you have my utmost respect anyone who runs half a marathon you have my utmost respect um, it's a much bigger beast and you know all of these crazy people that do it in fancy dress and you know run a hundred a year of them you know they make it seem so easy and it wasn't until I got into it that I realised what a big feat I was taking on. Um, but to do it, you know, like I say, having overcome everything that I did with it, that has to go down as one of my proudest achievements. 
And finally, one last question, again, just to give you a little bit more insight into my personality. Um, the question came through just as hobbies, question mark. Um, and I laugh with my friends that I have too many hobbies. You know, just the hobbies and interests section on my CV could take up an entire page. I'm someone who needs to chill the fuck out when it comes to hobbies and personal interests because I've just got so many. So I'll just run through a quick few of them. Um, I love anything creative and artistic. I've recently picked back up painting the last couple of years. My nan kindly gave me my granddad's old art supplies and I really like customising clothes mainly. So I'll paint leather jackets, denim jackets, any sort of painting meets textiles. Um, I also love creating anything with textiles, be that actual you know, structured dressmaking through sewing or I make a lot of crafty bits like bunting. I do some embroidery hoops. So anything creative like that I love. I also really enjoy the theatre. That's probably my biggest passion. I studied it as a as a kid and as a teenager um, performing. Done quite a few amateur dramatic shows, but I love anything behind the scenes as well from directing to writing costume design and obviously just going to the theatre which you know I'm missing and I find it heartbreaking all of the news we're hearing about the arts and how in jeopardy they are because of coronavirus um, but it's a huge huge passion of mine I absolutely love the theatre I could talk about musicals all day long um, I recently the last couple of years have started growing my own veg which I don't really know anything about I just plant water and pray and it seems to be going pretty well but I really really love it you know my absolute dream is to own a small holding have my own veggies chickens which we did have until earlier this year we, we did get rid of our chickens um have a little pig you know I very much aspire to have the good life if anyone remembers that show back from I suppose it was probably the 70s that was on um that's very much the life I'd like to live you know self-sufficient my little pig go out and tend to my veggies the absolute dream um I've also recently got back into karate I did it as a kid then you know like most kids just quit when you get bored of it went back to it in my late teens um and then I've been out of the dojo I think I've worked out for 12 years and Robin joined and uh, you know within weeks of him joining they announced they were doing an adults beginner class I was like well it would be rude not to give it another go so I've just graded I've just got my yellow belt and um, so you know even at the age of 30 don't be scared to go and try something new or go back to something old that you love because I do really really enjoy it really really enjoy it so um yeah that's been a brilliant thing to bring back into my life not so much a hobby um but a huge interest of mine and something that um i'll probably talk about from time to time um is my love of drag oh god do i love a drag queen uh the obsession started with rupaul's drag race um but i've been fortunate enough to go and see quite a lot of live drag shows um drag bottomless brunches all those sort of thing and i just absolutely love it as a type of performance are i think the queens are phenomenal they're just such a fierce talent um and they actually kind of had a bit of a part in my recovery as well just watching that and just seeing that they are they're just themselves and they don't give a fuck what anyone else thinks and that like i say when you find that freedom it is so liberating and i think i have drag queens to thank for their part in my journey to sort of you know body positivity and being comfortable in my own skin and really just being myself and not caring what other people think about that so um 
yes if you are not already acquainted with the world of drag i highly recommend you start following some queens on instagram go and watch rupaul's drag race because it's just pure joy so guys i'm gonna leave it there because i'm aware that i've already waffled on quite a bit um i don't know if you guys did actually find that interesting at all but you asked for it so you got it but luckily it's not going to be what me waffling on about myself over the coming weeks and uh, you've only got two days to wait until you meet our very first no ordinary gal my fabulous friend lizzie the queen of kindness and crazy cat lady she's just phenomenal and i can't wait for you guys to meet her so this was me this is who i am please um like and subscribe so you never miss an episode and obviously once we get into the show if you do like what you're hearing please do leave me a little review as it just helps other people find the show a lot lot easier so that would be great if you could do that thank you so much for all of the love and support that i've received so far i'm so overwhelmed absolutely blown away um, thank you so much for coming along on this journey with me and I hope you really do enjoy it and realise yourself that you are no ordinary gal. I'll see you soon, people.